source for Big Ten Talk. It's off tackle Empire. Welcome back to the Blocking Charge Cast here on, I think the best way to qualify this is by NFL equivalents. Of course, nobody here on this blog has serious attachments to NFL teams. We all know better uh, than to put our fates in the hands of very well-paid 20 and 30-somethings. Much better to rely on the steady hand of teenagers who are kind of paid a little bit now. And so I'm joined here tonight, I being your host, Andrew Kraszewski, by MN Wildcat, our uh, head of the Northwestern Cabal, occasional correspondent. How are you doing this evening? Uh, you know, the Packers lost last night, I hear. Um, I have no idea if that has anything related to why I'm, uh, you know, filling in as the number two on the podcast today. But yeah, things have been peachy around Minnesota for the last 24 hours or so. Yeah, multiple sauces can confirm that NFL teams have lost games this weekend. And so our normal... My normal co-pilot here, Thumbasaurus, uh, he's, he's got a larynx, and so that's that's going to be a day-to-day situation. We're going to keep an eye on that, but he is going to be out for tonight's cast, and so we're hoping he gets back from that you know, minimum of time missed. That man is really just an NFL mindset. I just, uh, it, it's gonna, we'll see how my mental processing goes here today. I'm uh, flying solo in the home this weekend, too, and so it was a nice test of fortitude. I just maybe about 20 minutes ago got done painting our bathroom, which we just had retiled. And as I was thinking as I started, I was like, oh, ha, ha, little closed space paint fumes going to get high as hell, bro. And then here I am two hours later, like, yeah, my brain hurts. <laughs> <laughs> We're both kind of flying with that, uh, you know, flying solo on some level. We are battling COVID at the moment in the MN Wildcat household. Everybody's fine, thankfully, but doing some precautionary uh, distancing and isolation and stuff. So I am coming to you live from a basement where uh, it's temperature is approximately 15 degrees cooler than it is in the main, in the main level. And we'll see if I, if I freeze or if I make it till morning. Yeah. And frequenters of the podcast will recognize in the background, the sound of R2, our Northern Illinois correspondent, who's gotten a hold of uh, his stuffed ham is the choice of toy tonight. And nothing like me. I think he has somehow come to associate me opening my laptop on my lap like this with, it is time to make noise in the background. (laughs) And so he's going at it. Um, He's, he's he's smart enough to be an asshole. So (laughs) I've asked for an appearance uh, from our Ohio Bobcats correspondent, Mo, but I believe he is upstairs pouting or just staying warm at the moment. But if we, if he does pop in, we'll see. Uh, we'll see if he pops in and gives us the update on the Mac basketball landscape. Uh, so since we last convened the podcast a couple of weeks ago, a few things happened around the conference. Michigan defied our expectations. I think all four of our panelists were unanimous that they would miss the trip to Champaign and then come back at home against Maryland. After that, that did not happen. They did go to Champaign and take their loss from Illinois. And then in the meantime, a couple of other teams, Minnesota and Nebraska have now had games postponed due to COVID issues as well. Minnesota then came back missing three starters against Rutgers just yesterday. Unbelievable. And I don't, I don't think I've ever seen a game like that where each team at least in college where each team has a guy hit at least seven threes and Peyton Willis and Geo Baker 
carried half their team's respective scoring loads. I, I mean, I had the game kind of on and off as I was doing things in the background. Mm-hmm. And it was it was such a weird game, such a weird game. But anyway, that continues to be an issue. And of course, there's the Big Ten and its infinite wisdom showing that two years into this, they still have no idea what to do or how to handle this. The conference did not allow themselves a uniform cushion where there's a gap where all the teams are off at the same time to make up games that are lost. They didn't do that. They filled out their normal league calendar, apparently assuming the pandemic was going to be over. I mean, hey, wishful thinking, right? And of course, the NCAA tournament's not going to move, so the Big Ten tournament can't move. So there's only so many gaps to make up these games. I have no idea. I mean, the most likely outcome, I wonder if you agree, is that we're just going to, for the second year in a row, crown a champion when not all the teams are playing the same number of games. And that's- well, and I'm sure it's going to be, it's going to be well-received. I mean, Michigan thankfully appears to be out of the running this year, but you know, it's funny to think that Illinois could potentially be in that kind of a conversation again. <laughs> and um, you know, who knows, maybe Purdue will get to raise a banner. We'll, um, we'll have to see. It, it certainly does feel like it's trending that way. And it would be nice to be honest, if the, kind of the power conferences or something could leverage a little bit of that and, and encourage the NCAA to push it back a week just for the, I mean, player safety or something. And it's not really player safety if you're going to make up all your games that week, but yeah, it, it just, boy, does it feel like they, I mean, even to, if you could do like a, a three or four day bubble right before the big 10 tournament, get the teams there. And if a couple teams need to make up games, perhaps you could make them up on kind of a little jamboree kind of style thing like the, I think it was like the Southland did some non-conference games all from a uh, from a convention center in Katy, Texas. Yeah, well, just... again, what should have been the lasting lesson from the pandemic as far as organizational administrative things with college athletics is that it's actually really easy to make games up and schedule them on the fly if you need to. Ohio mm-hmm. State had, I think it was a game with Minnesota, or not, either Minnesota or Nebraska postponed last week, and like the next day they brought in Uwe Pui. Which, yeah, that's that's basically a scrimmage because Ui Pui is a one-win team this year. But it's not that difficult. And the other thing is, if memory serves right, Omicron became a thing like around Thanksgiving, right? Or like the week after. And so that should have been plenty of time for the Big Ten office to be like, hey, everybody, um, you know that tomato can game that every single one of you is playing between Christmas and New Year's? cancel that we're going to move up the league schedule and start a week early so that we have a little bit of elasticity if we need it they didn't do that it's just i don't know who's at the steering wheel in this conference but once again we've spun out we're in a ditch and we're hoping somebody stops to help us push this thing out i don't know i was super happy to see that northwestern still got to play illinois springfield uh in the in that little interim between christmas and the and the start of the season because God knows it could be one of the last few wins we see for Northwestern all year. So, well, yeah, I don't know about that. I know that they it they were overpowered. <laughs> they were overpowered by Purdue today, and of course, they Northwestern was the beneficiary of Michigan State finding out, having fucked around for the better part of a month. Going back to that tomato can game, actually, you can basically trace Michigan State's sort of lull or hiatus to that high point game. Although I, I honestly am. Um, I don't have, there's no conclusion I can draw except that Marcus Bingham is still dealing with COVID effects because he doesn't have any wind. And yeah, so, um, yeah it, it, it was tough to see him that game. He'd, he'd come out and then I, he had a couple blocks that game, if I recall, where I, he got up and I was just like, oh shit, right. Marcus Bingham is just an absolute monster. And the next thing you know, who you knew who was being hauled off the court and just looked absolutely gassed. And yeah, he's looking back at it. 
yeah, 12 minutes now that all he played and, and two points. I just like, absolutely. He's short legged a couple dunks and, st- and it's just like, it's very easy to forget that. Oh, he's out for COVID, but he's back now. Well, depend. <laughs> You, you you never really have a clear answer on whether these guys actually get COVID or not because obviously the schools are not going to tell you as they shouldn't. Right. But if a guy if a guy is quote out for COVID, we don't necessarily know if that's an exposure or a positive test, and if there was a test, whether there was if there was a positive test, whether there were symptoms or not. R two for crying out loud! Now he's got his koala and he's just going to town. Um, he's far enough away that I can't reach him. Again, he's he's. He's just smart enough to be an asshole. Um, <laughs> yeah, so we're kind of, we're kind of meandering in and out of actually talking about basketball. So Michigan State uh, played a game they should have lost against Minnesota. Joey Hauser got beat like a drum in that game and then redeemed himself with the last second tip in that most people will have forgotten about. And then very next game out, as we kind of mentioned before we had started, um, the thing that led me to conclude, I mean, Izzo's post-game comments did not dissuade me from this notion that he really didn't care if they won that game or not. Um, I still don't understand. He seemed to assume that people were going to want to know why Marcus Bingham hadn't played instead of Hauser. No, I wanted to know why he took Julius Marble out in the middle of the best game of his life. Yep. Uh, so that Hauser could get beat like a drum by Ryan Young for six game minutes, uh, at which point the game completely turned around. Um uh, and is I swear it was just like it was as though the rest of the conference activated his trap card because uh, Izzo dropped his favorite. Oh, we're getting a little fat and sassy line, and I don't know why there's no better way to snap the team out of that than losing Northwestern at home. But it worked because their next game out, they handled Wisconsin pretty easily. I have to say, I, had, I for all the you know grumbling that I'll do about Michigan State in the in the average season, it is a hell of a thing to be able to just call them fat and sassy not throw a game, but, you know, through your actions, effectively just throw away a game against Northwestern just because, oh, we can afford to and know that it's going to make you a better team in March. I resent the hell out of Tom Izzo for having the capacity to do that, but it's also an impressive thing where you just nod and say, like, oh, shit, well, you know, that's it's a hell of a talent to have. And really, it, it damns us even more because it's going to give him the ammunition at the end of the, to the year to offer his favorite platitude of like, do you think Chris Collins should be fired? No, no, of course not. I think he's got a great team that he's built there in Evanston. Um, you know, all that experience that has Northwestern looking on the outside in at an NIT berth at the moment. Um, but hey, we'll always have that game where Ryan Young was the, I believe, led all scorers or tied marble with 18 points. Um, and really, it's as the name I think that we've coined for him right before this came on, in addition to him being the Rye MCA, uh, of the Big Ten, uh, really, I, I like the idea of Creamsicle Abdul Jabbar too. Uh, he, those those Euro steps and the five offensive boards, he was just putting in uh, putting in a shift underneath the basket. Yeah, man, and it's uh, we'll see this upcoming game against Illinois on Tuesday will be interesting. First of all, because it's not clear if Kofi Coburn's going to play, and Illinois is a, a vastly different team with him off the floor. Mm-hmm. But yeah, for, usually the swoon comes a little bit later. It's usually like it, it'll start right around this time of year. Last week of January, going into February, MSU loses three out of four, or four out of five games. Then they snap out of it. I guess they just got out of the way a little bit earlier than they usually do. Uh, we mentioned Wisconsin, and until dropping this home game against Michigan State, they were actually in really good position in the conference because they had picked up a couple of head-to-heads against the other team. 
other teams at the top of the conference. They had the win over Purdue, um, beat Ohio State, and then against Michigan State, they it was so it's so fun. Well, let's not look past. They picked up the, an all important tiebreaker over Northwestern as well in the middle. Right, of the week. <laughs> right. Which go, lost yeah. past that too, right. and a game where the you know the mean refs, of course, were were doing nothing but picking on Wisconsin all game. Um, you know, depending on who you ask, it's just in a game where Johnny Davis and, and fucking Chucky Hepburn of all people just couldn't miss at the, at the right times. But yeah, they, they certainly kind of ran into finally a wall when they, when they met your Spartans. I will. So basically a couple takeaways from that. First of all, Brad Davison had the most insane rim lock I've ever seen in my life. Uh, two of his, I think like six, three pointers that he hit were of the variety that bounced like 10 feet up in the air and then yep. fall into the hoop. Uh, other thing about him is he really does try to trip guys just about every possession, doesn't he? Uh, I, I understand why. I, you know, I've never... The thing with him has always been that, like, I feel like from a basketball skill standpoint, he's kind of the same guy he was as a freshman five years ago, but that he's basically... He put all of his skill points into greasy shit, in like Cobra Kai maneuvers and stuff. Like, that's mm-hmm. the stuff that he's gotten dramatically better at, and I think that's why you know, a lot of people don't necessarily care for him, uh, which, of course, he eats up. I'm sure that's his favorite aspect of, be, of playing the way he does. Uh, and then the other thing was that for probably 80% of that game, Johnny Davis played like absolute crap. And he still scored 25 points um, or 25, 22, something like that. I think it was 25. Yeah. Davison was on 22 and yeah. Yeah. I mean, Davis had a, had a chuckers 25. I think he was something like eight of 19 or eight of 20 from the field, but yeah, I mean, it's, he is just, he's got to get some attention and, you know, maybe at some, well, I guess at some point it's kind of the narrative is always the, even in an offense like Wisconsin's Johnny Davis is able to thrive and I, the guy just can play ball. I think he's an obvious lottery pick in the draft. I mean, I, I say that even though I have to remind myself every time I think something like that, I don't actually know what makes a good NFL or NBA prospect. Well, I mean, I do, which is just how much athlete are you? Um, mm-hmm. I think he's at least an average NBA athlete, but his skill, like the step he took from freshman to sophomore is absolutely nuts. The other thing that I think, so, well, oh, before I forget, of course, I have never seen the double flop warning called before. Have you? I have not, no. Because Chucky Hepburn got it against MSU. Uh, and a, a couple borderline calls. We're like the, the first one, Malik Hall did give him a little bit of a forearm. Um, but that's what you get when DJ Carsonson's refereeing your game because he was a big himself. He's like, come on, you're, you're not like that. You're stronger than that. Uh, so they ended up whistling him for it. I did not realize it was a free throw. I, I knew that because whenever they call that, they mentioned the, the booth always talks about it booth the broadcast table i guess talks about it as though everyone they're just like oh yeah so there's uh, you know he's got a flap warning and of course we we all definitely know what happens if they call a second one on him but they never actually say what the consequence is <laughs> uh, so it's <laughs> i never seen it before so the the answer to that is you get one free throw and it counts as a personal foul on you but not it does not count towards your team foul limit i believe it's exhausting. It's just bizarre. But anyway, I've never seen that before. And then Wisconsin, I think the, the biggest thing about Michigan's, the Michigan State result was not that, oh, they found kind of a solution for Davis. Sure they did. I mean, every time he turned the corner, he had three guys looking at him. Early on, Wisconsin's shots weren't falling. Later on, Davidson, Davidson hit a few. But really the, the big thing for Wisconsin from that game was they need Tyler Wall to get back and back soon. 
because the drop off from him to the guys behind him at the four is massive. Uh, Malik Hall bullied Wisconsin's backup guys there all night. Joey Hauser looked like a serviceable Big Ten player, whether at the four or the five. So that tells you that's how you know you've got an athletic front court. Yeah, Ben Carlson is not, and that's honestly that's a weakness Wisconsin's going to have to have to overcome. I, I think Wisconsin fans could rightfully point to the fact, hey, we overcame it against Houston, we overcame it against, um, uh, overcame it against Purdue certainly, but I mean, the Spartans almost. I think it was something like 11 out of 24 possible offensive rebounds that Michigan State grabbed. And I mean, Crowell, look, I mean, he's doing a serviceable job inside and, you know, Vogue can give you a couple minutes off the bench as a center, but, you know, you see against, especially an athletic team like Michigan State that has that length. And I'm, I, you know, either you need Houston to piss down their legs or Wisconsin's just going to have to get teams to shoot themselves in the foot in the, in the, uh, front court it, it feels like to me i just i i really think come march there's going to be a lot of questions and i don't know if i'd pick them to go too far if they run into a team that's got appreciable athleticism and height i do think wall is an underrated player that way and i think on absolutely their, on their win streak they were coming into against michigan state i think he was scoring something like 15 points a game yep um, not going to be a headline grabber by any means relative to davis but a very important pressure outlet and again it's so now yeah. that that helps with my, and I, I was very proud of myself for this, the analogy to the Jordan Taylor years, because that means <laughs> Tyler Wall is just Ryan Evans, except he can't pull off a flat top quite as well. <laughs> so, oh my God. I hate that you made me remember that flat top. Holy or does moly. he jump shoot his free throws? Um, oh, <laughs> memories. Uh, so we'll continue to chain one reference after another. We mentioned Ohio State. Um, the Buckeyes have actually done pretty well, I thought, to reinvent themselves, missing Justice Stewing for most of the year, who I think would have been kind of a 1B with EJ Liddell. Um, like Michigan State, though, their schedule is pretty well backloaded. They still have road trips to Purdue, to Illinois, and I'll add to Rutgers in there because that's not to say Rutgers is a good team, but it's a really difficult place to play. Their rims are like six inches wide. Uh, and it also seems like, I don't know, what suing's prognosis is because before their midweek game with Louie Pui, which I caught a few minutes of, he apparently participated in some pregame shooting. And then after the game, Chris Holtman's like, yeah, we hope to get him back this year. And like, oh shoot. This, this year. Well then, so maybe <laughs> not that close or maybe Chris Holtman's just doing some gamesmanship. I, who can say, uh, but anyway, I, I really think Ohio state hit on something when they started playing Zed key at the five to move Liddell off that. Um, Liddell absolutely that's not a five not even a stretch five really he's more of a finesse guy i don't think you want him banging with some of the bigger post players and getting in foul trouble so key has been big there and that also allows them <laughs> key has been big yeah i couldn't just say <laughs> key, has been key. it was right there for me uh and that also allows them to bring kyle young off the bench and kind of spread out their senior leadership um imported a little bit of that with jamari wheeler from Penn State, but not necessarily a guy who you're going to look to for reliable scoring. Well, and, and Ohio State really doesn't need to be rushing suing back at this point, especially looking ahead to, you know, to Minnesota in the, I think it's next Thursday, and the Gophers are, you know, uh, credit Ben Johnson. I mean, I think that's one of the best kind of in-conference stories of this year, how he's, I mean, with with thumbtacks and, you know, uh, chewing gum and some string put together Minnesota as a, you know, a team that could play its way out of the 
the Wednesday games of the Big Ten tournament. But uh, Zed Key is going to feast. I, I just I feel like he's going to feast in the lane at Williams Arena on Thursday. Just the way that Minnesota gives up offensive rebounds. That I think it's one of the worst clips in the country, if not the worst clip in the country. Um, you know, Ohio State's got some time before that backloaded schedule, like you said, to you know another week or so to kind of put it together and make sure that they know exactly what they have moving forward. And it may well be that by the time they get their full complement back and the games do get more difficult, that they're out of their picture for the conference race, but they should yeah. still solidly be in the tournament field. I don't expect them to have any problems there. Um, elsewhere in the conference, a couple of the teams further down the standings, Iowa State themselves a little bit with some wins over other middle-of-the-pack teams, Indiana and Minnesota. But, man, I don't know if you caught any of their game against Rutgers. <laughs> Todd Licklider special. Uh, it was so beautiful, man. I and look. I mean, we had one of our one of I think the finest parody articles in the history of off tackle. Um, a shout out to Hollywood Hawk Hogan who wrote the the uh, post game recap of the Iowa Rutgers referees. Um, we'll link to it in in the article where you found this podcast because it is it's worth a read. It's it's one of the best written pieces I've seen. Um, you know, I don't know what teams are expecting when they go into the rack. Uh, this is, you're just, you're going to get grabbed and held and beaten. And that is, it's not much different, fr- frankly, from when you go into, uh, you know, Mackey or into the Breslin, that that's the kind of defense that is in vogue and in particular is played. And at home, when that crowd gets going, you just, at some point, the message has to be just suck it up and find a fucking way to win. Otherwise, you're going to be responsible for us looking up the standings at Rutgers somehow right now, uh, you know, but against Penn state, Iowa found a way. And I think that's just leaning on the Murray's at some point is, is just going to have to be kind of going forward what it is. Cause you talk about teams that again are weak inside. Iowa is just one of those teams in the conference where Philip Robach or however you say his, uh, you know, however you say that name, it's just a nice story. Good from, you know, that transfer from North Dakota, but, Iowa's one where if the Murrays are having a bad night, uh, you know, senior citizen Jordan Bohannon just ain't shooting him into a ton of games anymore. No, and his, you never know how something like a hip surgery is going to affect somebody. I don't necessarily even know that it is. He could just be in a prolonged shooting slump. When you've taken as many shots as he has, you're bound to miss, you know, to have some cold streaks here and there. But I will say that they had, they they may also have hit on something interesting here too where they now have taken to playing Chris Murray at the five a little bit and going to a small ball lineup, mm-hmm. which is, again, always kind of – let's not pretend that Iowa's ever been especially rugged defensively anyway. <laughs> so if they're going to do that, then, yeah, I mean, he, he gives them an athleticism and some scoring punch that – I mean, honestly, I like Rebecca's game as sort of a, a, a capable conference post player. He's not a guy that you're going to build – a defensive game plan around but yep. as somebody who can finish i mean there was a nice little two-man game they ran with him and joe Toussaint a few times that worked pretty well i've thought for a couple of years now they should find ways to get joe Toussaint more involved in the offense uh, but then to be honest every time every time i'm watching iowa and i'm about to head into the slack to venture that thought he has a terrible turnover <laughs> so i'm like All right, i'll just keep that thought to myself um but, I think the general point though that you started with that Iowa going at the kind of the five out kind of bit with with Chris playing the five and key you know is a way in which again you can kind of adapt and it's part of I think what helped them beat Minnesota uh, in the 
in what was it, the midweek or whenever the hell that was, was, um, you know, a night where they they did kind of run a little bit of a short bench. And Rebraca uh, had his twelve and twelve because Minnesota's front court is one you can uh, you can get after. But again, that idea of Iowa when they can go five out just open up that space for the Murrays to slash and open up space for the ball to move a little bit more crisply around the perimeter. Um, it gives them a nice option, I think, down the road because they're one who, you know, are going to play themselves onto and off of the bubble, you know, how many times over the last, uh, you know, month and a half of conference play. That is a big, that is a good thing about life in the big 10, which is that although at any time you may step on a mousetrap, you do also have plenty of opportunities to get impressive wins. I mean, I, I would think, I haven't checked the stats recently and last year, but even with their records, I think Northwestern and Nebraska both still qualify as Q2 if you play them on the road. And so up and down the schedule, plenty of opportunities to improve your resume. It helps, of course, if you play a robust non-conference schedule. I don't believe Iowa helped themselves there. They did not. Uh, Of all teams, they had perhaps... It was it was one of the probably bottom three or four schedules in the Big Ten. I mean, it's yeah. I think the biggest challenge they had was a win a, a road win at Virginia, which is good. Yeah, um, well, and that's but, in the big that's in the ACC challenge. They don't have any way to get out of that. So. Yeah, and they got their their brakes blown off in the only other annual game that's any good, um, letting an Iowa State team score seventy three points on them. Um, the same Iowa State team that just managed forty four in a loss at home to TCU the other night. So. Uh, not exactly the most impressive uh, impressive non-conference schedule, and they didn't acquit themselves or you know stand out particularly well on top of that. No, and it look it it's not as easy for every team in the conference to reload the way that some at the top of the league do. Losing a guy like Garza was going to be hard enough in and of itself, but for mm-hmm. Wieskamp and Frederick, arguably your second and third best players to also go. Uh, Jack Nungy has been doing good things for Xavier since he transferred out. I think to be closer to family, if I remember right. But in any case, I mean, he was, I think if he was still around, this team would look markedly different. I mean, imagine playing Nunji at the five next to Key. Yep, absolutely. uh, That's probably the team that Fran anticipated having, but it's also reality in modern college basketball. And Fran has not really imported talent at the rate that he's, well, I guess it's maybe not fair to say. And imported some of the kind of the styles and strategies. One, you have to have a guy behind Nunji, you're, I think is what you're saying, and you're absolutely right. But, you know, some of the stuff that, I mean, I, the Iowa fans I know are very quick to hop on kind of the, an Iowa player gets his second foul in the first half, and he's done. You won't see him until the second half. And it's kind of those, some of Fran's game and stuff is is older. But, it, you know, as we look at what I where I was sitting right now, they're 23 in the net, and they, you know, they're probably a, a tournament team. And... I, I wouldn't be tipping them to go beyond, you know, a couple games maybe at best, but yeah, somehow, but I get that's find a way to stick around. Seen is that that's kind of the acceptable level of expectation for at least the part of the fan base that we interact with. Because <laughs> um, I mean, I I posed the question repeatedly last year, like if if they don't hang anything in the arena aside from Garza's jersey be, after his time here, is that acceptable? And the answer that I got back was basically yeah. That it is. They as long as they're making the tournament more often than not, and playing a watchable basketball, that's going to be good enough for most Iowa fans. And they're certainly in a they're certainly in a post Tom Davis era where they I think they recognize kind of the after after firing or not renewing Davis's contract or whatever it was. Um, 
Yeah, you know, I mean, between what they fight. between what they went through with Alford and then Lick Lighter, Lick Lighter. <laughs> I can certainly understand being reluctant to apply pressure to, let alone move on from a coach who at least plays entertaining basketball. Like, there's no question. Most of the time, you're going to get a good game um, from a viewing perspective. When I was out there, so I do. But again, it, just looking at what they are this year. I just wonder, like, if Keegan Murray hadn't become a legit superstar, like NBA first round type of guy, where would they be this year? <laughs> would they have won a game in the league yet? Oh, it'd be um, bad. But I think that's, to be honest, where I kind of how I projected them. I think I had them in the seven eight win territory, um, and I I didn't see Murray emerge. I heard the talk, and I just didn't believe it. And I boy have been proven wrong about that because he looks every bit kind of the NBA draft kind of prospect. Oh, yeah, I thought they were going to fall off a cliff. I, if anything, they've probably been a little better than I expected because, uh, yeah, I don't think there was a whole lot from his freshman tape that would tell you he was going to have that kind of jump. Yep. Um, so we'll, we'll kind of come down our team-by-team team tour here quick. Nebraska is, in my opinion, way better than they were last year, and they're probably still going to start 0-10 in conference play. Um, they have the schedule gets a little easier. It was definitely so. We mentioned earlier that teams like Michigan State, Ohio State had easier schedules up front. That doesn't apply to everybody. Nebraska had a very difficult schedule to start. They do yep. still have doubles coming with Iowa, double with Northwestern, home games against Minnesota and Maryland, um, a road game to Penn State. So there are plenty more winnable games left on the schedule. I don't think they're going to go winless in the league. That never happens. A home game of Maryland as well, who's you know. Dead down that that they can definitely pick off the terps too yes uh and they also have a home game with rutgers coming up just a week from today glorious and man yeah rutgers is bad on offense and they are a worst team overall on the road like across the board um but yeah it's other than that again it's it's a symbol of how difficult this league is in that if you watch nebraska and think about what their teams look like in the past there's no question they are way better but they have made no progress in getting out of the Big Ten basement because, again, the middle of this conference is a bucket of crabs, man. This is, and that's look no further than Rutgers, by the way, who this time two years ago mm-hmm. was like, oh, man, Steve Peichel's really building something. They keep this up. They'll be in the picture for a conference title another year or two. Nope. Nope. They have. It feels like they have hit their head at a little bit of a ceiling here and that without a change in approach or that special player or a boost in recruiting that they kind of are as high as they're going to get, because not only are the teams at the top really hard to overcome, but everybody else around you, when you're in that middle of the pack is like, Oh no, you're not going, you're not climbing over us back in the bucket with you. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Um, In terms of individual game results over the last couple of weeks, the best one I remember seeing was Purdue at Illinois on MLK Junior Day. Now, of course, I was working, but working from home. So I had it on kind of in here as I was in my office slash dining room. Uh, <laughs> and I mean, really, the interesting thing about that is that Kofi Coburn was effectively sidelined with foul trouble the whole game. Mm-hmm. But despite that, you would think that if Purdue is able to get really your only capable traditional big out of the game, that you're going to be in deep water. Illinois still forced him to double overtime. Um, I think it's going to be interesting to see how Curbelo continues to progress in his return. I missed what two months with a yep. concussion and lingering symptoms. So as he kind of gets back to his normal self, I mean, his shooting was never that great, honestly. It, it, I don't <laughs> yeah. think he's back quite to normal there, but 
if he hits a few more of the jump, like he's still one of the more creative players I've ever seen with the ball. So if he gets back kind of on his normal trajectory, I think that really helps Illinois and that they have stayed near the top of the conference, even without him and with Coburn being injured now, I think that does speak a little bit to Underwood building a bit more than just the star players they've had the last couple of years. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, be, I think in particular against Purdue, Alfonso Plummer had a really nice, uh, had a really nice game in that losing effort. It was something like, I think six, made six threes out of 12 or something like that. Just he's been shooting a well from deep. Obviously, you know, he's not, Illinois looks lost without Coburn, right? Or, or did against Maryland. And and these are kind of these, these issues or these problems that, that they're going to have. But if somebody like Plummer can find kind of that, that really consistent scoring stretch, like he had just before Illinois entered, uh, entered big 10 player, even in the kind of December interlude, that could be, that could be really huge for them down the road. I'm glad you brought that up though. And that, that Maryland Illinois game is a good example of something we've seen a couple times in the league, which is you will frequently be reminded that a lot of players on a lot of teams are good enough to win a game by themselves. And that was Dante Scott against Illinois. Oh. And I get like, <laughs> anytime I ask a question about Maryland, I, our Maryland correspondents basically say Trojan, Trojan, Trojan. And then that, so, you know, Understandably so. Again, look, I, I think given the way that his tenure ended, <laughs> a lot of those complaints have been validated. But I don't understand, given what we saw against Illinois, how it took Maryland two and a half years over two coaches to try some ISOs for Dante Scott. <laughs> oh, the guy was unstoppable. A variety of defenders, variety of situations, and, and it, he looked fantastic. And then we saw the same thing: Purdue coming off that big double overtime win against Illinois hosted Indiana, a team they've not lost to in like six or seven years. And Rob Fantasy has the game of his life and scores, I think, like 17 points in the first half. And the weirdest thing about that was that after that first half, Woodson kept Fantasy on the bench until like the 13-minute mark of the second <laughs> half. I was like, what are you doing? Are you trying to keep this losing? So anyway, for a guy who otherwise I think has been very impressive in his first year, that was a very strange decision on Woodson's part to me, but he did not. it did not end up costing them. Indiana ended up winning a thrilling game, I think kind of at the last second. Oh, yeah, it wasn't the last second. Mm -hmm. um, and Purdue, man, if they have an Achilles heel, free throws, man, at 7 out of 17 at Memorial Hall, at Assembly Hall, rather. Um, yeah, I, I, that's, that's an easy way to lose. Uh, and they turned the ball over a good amount, too. It's more early in the game. But then I think I remember, like, uh, I, hear, I heard a lot of Purdue fans complaining about turnovers, and the first half that I'd watched more of the second, I was like, yeah, they're turning it over a lot. And I looked at the box score. They turned it over 12 times. And I was like, <laughs> that's, that's what I think of the back game as far as turnovers that you have no idea. <laughs> Sit down and watch this. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I just turn it over 20 times against high point or something. Mm -hmm. uh, um, so I don't think there's any question at this point in terms of conference player of the year, Johnny Davis has to be the runaway favorite. Yeah. Or does it, is it becoming more like a Heisman thing where, well, we'll see who ends up at the top of the standings and maybe it's their best player. You could Coburn if Illinois comes out on top. I just, in terms of the kind of consistent production that you've gotten out of Johnny Davis all year, um, I, I, I have a hard time putting anybody else above him. Um, the one kind of maybe not dark horse, it feels weird calling him a dark horse, but if 
they if the team wins a few games and kind of where you say talking about having the team on top of the standings if iowa can make a little bit of a run yeah um and if, if it can be king murder driven that's that's one that i would see because there's such focal points of that offense whereas you know with any other team if if one player kind of goes down somebody else there are a lot of teams that are good enough to pick up on a given night you know really those two teams wisconsin and iowa feel like they're kind of the bus is driven by you know insert uh, insert that player of the year candidate yeah, both really capable rebounders too. So they're each gonna absolutely have, each gonna yeah. have the counting stats. Um, yeah, and, and a fair thing there when you always think about an MVP because not only is he really good, but if you consider what the team is without him, boy, that would be that would be dreadful. All right, so we'll conclude our turnaround the last couple of weeks of Big Ten basketball to look at the upcoming schedule of interest. And you can let me know if, if I've missed anything that was of particular interest to you. I'll delete that note because that's about last time. <laughs> but as we sit here recording the night of the 23rd, there is the Michigan State-Illinois game on Tuesday. Not clear. I don't think if Kofi, yet if Kofi Coburn is going to be playing in that game or not. It will have been about a week since he sustained that concussion. Well, it'll be, it'll be day number eight because they played uh, last Monday. They got mm-hmm. that game got that concussion courtesy of Zach Eady in the Purdue game. Um, Saturday, we have a triple header, potentially interesting games. Uh, Michigan at Michigan State, always going to be good, and especially so because I dare say there's going to be some accusations thrown from the Izone about Michigan ducking the first matchup. <laughs> we also have Illinois at Northwestern. Again, you figure by then Coburn will certainly be back. He will eat Ryan, Ryan Young for breakfast. Got to love that that kid but uh coburn has had his way they just they've had their way and they play smothering defense on northwestern to the point that I, the cats i'm more hoping that the cats can catch michigan in the uh, in the middle of the week but nothing nothing you know glimmering on the horizon yet for northwestern it could be of interest yeah and then we, we also mentioned the rutgers at nebraska game i think there's a real chance nebraska gets off the schneid there uh, not not because of any particular trends from either team, just because it's a much more winnable game than they've had recently mm-hmm. on the conference schedule to get started. Um, let's see, looking further down. Uh, went a little bit went a little bit before that that I'll point out. It, just because they uh, it came down to the wire in Mackey um, earlier in the year, uh, per- Purdue going on the road to Iowa on Thursday the twenty seventh. Yeah, um, that's true. just again that kind of contrast to styles, and uh, you know Iowa went to a press late in the game that really, really gave Purdue kind of a tough time getting set into their offense then and, and rotating the ball a bit. Uh, if Iowa comes out with kind of that intensity that they can occasionally, occasionally gin up in Carver Hawkeye Arena, um, I think you could see a little bit of a, a potentially fun one there on, on FS1 8 p.m. Central Time could be a could be an interesting little kind of contrast of styles and a chance again for. You know, if we talk about Keegan Murray as somebody who could be in that player of the year kind of conversation. Yeah, um, Purdue, for, for their very high national ranking, still very much a team. Again, like, I've, I felt that Johnny Davis's national coming out party was when they got that win at Mackey, and he went off 27 in the second half. Mm-hmm. Um, you could see a similar thing from Keegan Murray. Purdue does have a little bit of a tendency to get loose with the ball. Iowa falls into that three-quarter court press as effectively as anyone after made baskets. So that could be one that's a little bit more interesting there. Um, Next Sunday, the 30th, we have Ohio State at Purdue as well as Minnesota at Wisconsin. We'll see if by then Minnesota's kind of back to full strength, what Tyler Wall's status is. 
again, I, I would give the, I give the Golden Gophers all the credit in the world for playing the game they did against Rutgers, missing three players when they basically only play six. Um, mm-hmm. And even the sixth guy only gets a few minutes. So yep. that they were able to pull that game out. It was a, it was a heroic effort from Peyton Willis. Uh, oh, and that's, that was, again, I, I knew there was a third guy I was forgetting when I mentioned in that context of lots of teams have a guy who can beat you. Uh, so yeah, there was Dante Scott fantasy and Willis was the third guy I forgot to mention. Mm-hmm. Um, that Minnesota, when we do, you have to shout out as well, the, the fact that three of those players played 40, fully 40 minutes of the game. One of them was Trayton Thompson there. I think he's a seven footer out of the Alexandria area in Minnesota who averages like two points a game on the season and plays. Yeah. You know, seven, seven feet tall and about 140 pounds. Oh my God. It was <laughs> just pain. You're watching him thinking he's going to break in half as, as Rutgers manhandles him. And he went for 10 and six on the night and, yeah, and didn't respectable defense too. Yeah, I mean, it, it was fantastic. Yeah. I Cliff Omer Rui is a guy who I've been waiting to kind of take his star turn and hasn't had it this year and and he should have at minnesota and it did not he was one of five from the field pulled down his you know his rebounds but yeah he's got to take some some kind of become a focal point in that offense too that Rutgers can get paint touches and either amory can go up or you know create some more room then for harper and baker to slash or to spot up well if you talk about the future of that program i i'm pretty sure geo baker is taking the COVID year right now the three year of eligibility ron harper passed on a draft where I saw a lot of sources projecting him in the late first round. I can't imagine he's going to do that again next year. That team needs Omaruri to be a star. And right now mm-hmm. there's really not as much indication you, as you'd like to see moving further down the schedule uh, on the 31st, we have Iowa at Penn state. I just bring that up, not because it's going to be an especially good game, although they did play a good one a few days ago, but I'm just remembering a couple of years ago, that game they played at the Palestra, which is probably still one of my favorite games, not involving my team of the last several years. Um, Hopefully we'll be able to have both these teams back at that level relatively soon. Mm -hmm. Moving a little further out on February 2nd, we have Wisconsin at Illinois. Very could be very important for top of the conference standings. And then the following Saturday on February 5th, none of the individual games are especially appealing, but given that it's going to be early February, it's going to be, I think it's the week where there's no NFL games. It's it'll be the gap before the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. You're not going to have anything else to do. It's going to be miserable outside, most likely. Five (laughs) Big Ten games you can line up right in a row and just throw them back like shots of Kahlua. Oh, and, well, it's so funny you say that because we're actually having – we're hosting at at my house that day some family friends. We're doing an outdoor beer tasting kind of event where everybody brings their own beer and we just stand around in the snow and get drunk all day. Um, So I will probably miss the, the marquee Northwestern Nebraska tilt at noon that day, but I'll be drunk in the snow. So, I mean, I'm living my best life. Missing the hardwood version of the new, new game. Oh, if yeah, that's I, I'm a fake fan. It's true. Long may it be said, but no, that's with Illinois, Indiana that day with Michigan, Purdue. I mean, a little luster off that, but you know, even Michigan state going to the rack could be that kind of stupid, fun, little, uh, Stupid, fun uh, little if, bit of game. If that if that game doesn't have 49-46 written all over it, I don't know mm-hmm. what does. Um, mm-hmm. Brother, I don't want to watch that game. <laughs> Hoping <laughs> something else catches my attention. but Nope, it'll be cold and you'll sit there and watch it, damn it. Uh, God. All right, well, that brings us to a conclusion of another thrilling episode of the Blocking Charge cast. I want to thank our guest co-host, MN Wildcat, for joining us this evening. I've been Andrew Krzyzewski. 
any closing thoughts before we wrap up for the evening. If you're not watching Mountain West basketball, you're missing out. Your source for Big Ten Talk. It's off tackle. Empire!